You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. I'm your host, John Seeley. I am joined, as always, by Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. Guys, we have a bit of Carolina basketball news to talk about today. Kind of the two biggest things that happened were the announcement that Brand Huffman would be transferring from Carolina The impact that that had on Kerwin Walton, the shooting guard from the 2020 class. And then Zaire Williams made his college decision where he committed to Stanford. So those kind of are going to be the overarching themes that we're going to be talking about on this one. But let's start it off with the Huffman decision. And then we'll tie that into the Kerwin Walton news that was also posted on the message board. So... I don't think it should come as really too big of a surprise that Huffman did go ahead and announce that he would be transferring just personally. I kind of felt that that was something that had a greater than 50% chance of happening. But when it did become official, let's get your thoughts on that first, Sean, and then we'll go to Sherelle. So, I mean, yeah, Sean, were, were you surprised that Huffman did go ahead and elect to transfer from UNC after the past season? No, I don't, I don't think anybody should be surprised since we've been kind of alluding to it and talking about it for, for some months now. I remember last time we did the podcast, I was kind of wondering, you know, it's been several weeks. What's, you know, what's really the holdup or is this really going to happen? And and then sure enough, it, it did shortly after, you know, happened shortly afterwards. So I definitely don't think it was a surprise. We'll be interested to see, where he ends up. Um, I think that'll be the most, most interesting thing. But once, uh, you know, once he started getting passed over in the rotation for really any minutes um, at the end of the game or in uh, kind of crucial situations, I think the the writing was on the wall and went to free up a scholarship, um, which we'll see what, what happens with. But overall, um, you know, he, he was a great, you know, great for the program in terms of his, his attitude and enthusiasm on the sideline. And, as I said, hopefully we'll have a good good senior year somewhere else. Yeah, I definitely didn't get the sense that there was any animosity between Huffman, uh, Coach Williams, and the UNC program. I mean, Sherell, you never like to see guys have to transfer in order to get more playing time, but this was about as amicable of that situation playing out as I can really remember. And, I mean, it really seems like Carolina is wishing Huffman the best as he does try to find a school to transfer to. When we talked with him um, the night that he announced the transfer, the, the, the night that he announced he was going to enter the transfer portal, um, he seemed very reflective. Um, he talked about, you know, lessons learned at Carolina, and sometimes the lessons were hard. And, and I think that's something he's going to take with him to this next spot. I think he um, got kind of a crash course in, in what it means to be a student athlete um, as far as your responsibilities on the court and off the court. And I think that's definitely going to help him moving forward. He, like you said, has a really good attitude about it. Um, it, it. There's always some reservation there because, you know, it's it 
it was his dream school. It's where he always wanted to play. He talked about how, um, you know, when he was younger, like it was always Carolina. His high school coaches talked about how he was always uh, Carolina. His high school coach, uh, Brian Clifton, I think tweeted like, it's probably 18 months before Carolina had even started talking to Huffman was like, you know, Brendan Huffman's going to end up at UNC. He's going to will it to happen. Um, and his commitment at the time, you know, North Carolina had just lost uh, or was going to lose Tony Bradley to the NBA. And then Isaiah Hicks was graduating and Kennedy Meeks was graduating. So Luke May uh, was going to be the only returning big basically <laughs> next season. Um, so getting Huffman, even though, uh, he wasn't as highly ranked as some of the players they were after was still a big deal. Um, and, you know, signing him with the other two big guys in the class of 2017. So, uh, you know, you, you're, you're happy for him that he got to experience three years in North Carolina basketball. You know, he played in um, some big games and, and had some solid moments and by all accounts was a, a pretty good teammate. So happy for him that he's going to be able to pursue basketball still. Um, and that he also had the experience he had at Carolina. So a little bit of, um, I think he would have rather succeeded at Carolina, but at least he got the experience. And now wherever he goes, maybe he can uh, get some more playing time and, and really improve and, and go from there. Because when you're when you're you have his measurables, you know, his height and his athleticism and his size and his strength, you know, there's there's a place for you if you can just kind of develop into being really competent. And maybe one thing there's a place for you to, to make some money professionally you know it probably won't be the nba but there's somewhere that he can use you know what he's got naturally to to make some money so hopefully this next year um when he enrolls at his next school will be a bridge towards that moving on to i i guess the what this means for the unc basketball program obviously it's a loss of depth at the post position but with carolina having two freshmen come in with that 2020 class that definitely helps alleviate any loss of depth there and i think a lot of carolina fans immediately pointed to the fact that this now should open up another scholarship for a potential addition in the 2020 class because with Cole Anthony, I mean, let's face it, he's going to go to the NBA. That's the scholarship that would have originally meant that Carolina's incoming class was right at the limit. Now, with Huffman leaving, Carolina does have that one available spot. All eyes immediately turn to Kerwin Walton. We've discussed him several times on this podcast, and I mean, it really does sound like now Carolina is going to be a player for Walton. Is that the sense that you got, Sean, when you were following the news, immediately following Huffman's decision to transfer and how that impacted Walton? Yeah, I think, you know, as soon as you got that news, um, obviously with Zaire still being open, you know, kind of went to that. But over the last few months have been fairly apparent that he wasn't coming to to Carolina. Uh, so obviously it went to went to Walton and we've discussed him a good amount over the the past few times. and. I think I mentioned, you know, initially was wasn't fully sold on him, and and then started to come around more and more. Um, so you know, he'll bring size and shooting um, to the mix, and then it'll just be, you know, how how quickly can he um, contribute to the team? Now, obviously, there's still some other schools recruiting him, but he seemed to be holding off, uh, really, you know, to see what would happen with Carolina and if that scholarship did open up. So. It'll be interesting to see when when everything starts to transpire, but we'll just give you know you UNC some some wing depth and and who knows maybe he he surprises everybody and comes out shooting the lights out. Um, so 
you know, overall it was kind of a domino with Huffman, and then we'll see if the next domino falls with uh, Walton. Yeah, Rel, Inside Carolina ran the story back on April the 11th that gave the update on Kerwin Walton. And like Sean said, I mean, definitely seems like Carolina has now even stepped up even more their recruitment of him. As we sit here today recording this podcast Monday afternoon, what, what do you think the status is of his recruitment? Uh, so he's announcing on uh, April 25th. Um, he, we asked him why he picked that day. He just said, that's kind of the day I wanted to pick. Um, you know, if you dive deep, there may be some other reasons. If you consider North Carolina his leader, there may be other reasons that he might pick that day. Um, but, um, you know, that's kind of where he's at. So he has a final list of Arizona, North Carolina, Creighton, uh, Vanderbilt, Georgetown, and which is the hometown school. He's from um, Minnetonka, Minnesota, uh, Hopkins High School. I laughed because of the Chappelle show, Lake Minnetonka. Um, but, uh, you know, Minnesota's been a hotbed for college basketball or high school basketball going to college basketball the last few years. And North Carolina um, has been interested in several players dating back to Amir Coffey, who went to Hopkins. And um, Jalen Suggs is up there in Minnesota. Chet Holmgren, who owns a UNC offers there. Uh, Zeke Naji, who uh, went to Arizona, uh, is from Hopkins High School as well, was a teammate of Walton last year. Uh, so that's kind of where he's at. I think most people believe it's coming down to Arizona and Carolina with um, a lot of folks believing that Carolina's in the lead. It, it seems not coincidental that Brandon Huffman announces he is leaving North Carolina on Thursday, opening up a scholarship. And late Friday night, Walton says he's decided or he's going to announce his decision on the 25th. So um, that's kind of where it's at. Uh, you know, I think North Carolina is in a good spot, but, you know, with recruiting, you just never know. Um, he would add shooting and, and, you know, as important as he would be for depth this coming season, because people have to realize that, uh, you know, Anthony Harris, we're just not sure um, uh, how healthy he's going to be when the season starts. And the same can be said about Jeremiah Francis. And when you take that route, um, that leaves Andrew Playtech, RJ, Daly, RJ Davis and Caleb Love um, as the three kind of players in the backcourt. So in addition, like Walton would definitely be welcome. Um, it would provide depth and, and additional shooting to a Carolina team that was really bad <laughs> shooting from the arc last year. Um, so and as important as he is for next year, I think the bigger thing would be his sophomore year. Um, when players leave, you start to have some continuity between R.J. Davis, more than likely, and Puff Johnson, one of the freshman big guys, will more than likely be back. Uh, Anthony Harris will be there. So you start putting together a nucleus for um, what I think a lot of people hope is a, is a championship run um, in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think, you know, regarding a championship run, I think it was after the Louisville game we talked about it was, uh, you know, I think it's going to be difficult to make that run next year. But once again, if I think as you you talked about in detail it could really be the year after and assuming Caleb Love could be a one and done you want to start trying to put the pieces in for that now and when you look two years out having a sophomore uh, Johnson as well as Walton um, you know could really provide some some depth on the wing rather than next year you know so many freshmen coming in obviously Garrison Brooks is going to you know should have a great season so you, you would lose him the year after but I think really the Walton will come into more effect in, in years two and three than next year. Cheryl, did you have anything to potentially add there on a little bit more of the fit? I mean, I definitely agree with you that 
I think Kerwin's true value would be in future classes where he can provide that a, a scoring option coming off the bench, someone that knows the system. What about just, I guess, the overall chemistry with the other guys that are coming in with 2020? If Kerwin did join the class this late, hopefully they all are able to arrive on campus over the summer. We'll Honestly, we'll see what happens with that. But I mean, how do you think he does gel with those other guys? I think that's one of the things Roy Williams likes a ton about him is that he's able to blend. Um, he's played with some really good uh, AU teams, and he plays on a really high level um, uh, high level basketball league and a high level basketball team in high school. Uh, so last year, you know, Najee was kind of the focal point for Hopkins. This year, it's been Walton. But uh, everywhere he goes, he's able to win. He's able to blend. He's able to kind of fit in without being ball dominant, which is you know kind of an issue for so many of the top players. Like you always hear. I have to have the ball in my hands to do this, or I have to have the ball in my hands to do this. And Walton is definitely not like that. He is someone who can uh, affect the game without having the ball in his hands a ton. Uh, so I think that's really important. And then if you start looking at the the roster hole for North Carolina, it is, you know, they definitely need someone to kind of play that two, three, because that, that shooting guard slash wing position, um, they definitely need somebody for that. Because um, <clears throat> again, if you go back to the health of, Jeremiah Francis and Anthony Harris, if Jeremiah Francis isn't able uh, to to contribute, you know, on a night in night out basis, like he uh, did last year. So he played a ton of minutes against Gonzaga and then UCLA. And then kind of from there kind of fell off a cliff a little bit as far as minutes are concerned. Um, so if he's not able to, you need someone uh, to play point guard or, uh, when Caleb Love is in the game. So that could be RJ Davis. And if RJ Davis is spending time at the one, then the only other two on the roster who we know is going to be or we know should be healthy when the season starts would be Andrew Playtech. So that's where someone like Kerwin Walton could come in and provide some minutes, you know, especially initially um, as, as the season starts. And then as the season moves on, he could find a role as, you know, as defender or as a shooter or, or whatever. And then like Sean said, and we mentioned before, when you move into year two and year three, that's when he can really, you know, be a, a high level starter and, and do some things for Carolina, I think. And uh, it, it, if they were to get him, I mean, it'd be pretty amazing. It'd be a class with six top 100 players, which has happened. It'd be only Rogan's second six man class um, since he's been at Carolina. And then like the class of 2006, it would be six top 100 guys, which is pretty impressive. One thing to add with that, just in terms of, of Love and Davis, uh, you know, what would happen if one of them, you know, gets injured? We, we obviously saw what happened this year with all the injuries. And you take one of those guys out, whether they're sitting down or, you know, sitting for a few minutes or, or out for the game, you need some depth. And that was a big problem and kind of one of my bigger concerns in looking at the improvement that could happen next year was that lack of depth, especially on the wing spot. And this can kind of fill that out. And then you look at Walton or, or Johnson, and those both of those guys are going to be low usage guys that can play the wing or down in the corner and hopefully knock down open jump shots. And when you have two guys that can shoot and penetrate like Love and Davis can, that's going to make their lives a lot easier um, and kind of getting high quality shots, which you didn't really see this year. So once again, UNC is always at its best as any team when you have guys that can penetrate, draw the defense, and then kick to open shooters. Uh, this year, UNC shooting 27% or whatever it was from behind the three-point line will hopefully see a uh, significant increase when you're putting together uh, capable shooters behind the line. 
And that's honestly, I know a lot of people are concerned about Leaky Black and his offense, but that's one of the reasons I'm not, you know, terribly concerned. Uh, the, the point production is going to come mostly from the four big guys, Caleb Love to some degree, RJ Davis to some degree. I think that's where your scoring comes from. And the guys on the wing are going to need, going to have to be able to knock down an occasional jump shot, play good defense and rebound. And I think Leaky is pretty solid at those. You know, obviously, I don't think he's ever going to be like a 40 or 45% three-point shooter or anything. Um, but they don't really need him to score a lot to to be effective. Like, he has to find those things that he's good at. Defense, I, I think he really should focus on saying, hey, I want to be defensive player of the year in the ACC next year, you know, provided there is a season. And I think he can accomplish that. I think he has the the skills and, and the length and the athleticism to get that done. Um, and so that's why I'm not terribly worried about him as a starter next year. I think there's a lot of things he brings and obviously it started with Curtin Walton and all is going all the way to leaky black. But um, that's why I'm not worried. It's because him and puff and if they get Curtin Walton, Walton, their jobs, you know, they won't have a ton to do for North Carolina because it's going to be so much driven through the, the front court and through the two guards. I think um, I'm sure we'll probably go back and forth on this throughout the uh, the spring and summer, I'd say I'm definitely a little more worried than than you are on on Leaky, but I think we've kind of chatted about this before. You know, right now he shot 25% from the three point line, uh, and you know you have ideally two guards that are going to be scoring double figures, and then obviously Brooks, Baycott, um, Sharp, and Kessler picking up a lot of the loads. So you definitely don't need you know that fifth option to be scoring 15 points per game. I think for me, it's just you could see a lot of defenders sag off of him at times. And you can see a lot of, you know, especially if you have the two big guys already in, um, that you just kind of create a lot of floor spacing issues when you have that one option on the wing that isn't a threat. Um, so I think for, for me, it's just hoping that he can, you know, even become a 30% three-point shooter, I think would be a big jump. And one of the areas that he was really good in this year uh, was whether it was Syracuse playing against his own defense of hopping in the middle and being able to hit a little quick turnaround or, or a pass or a drive or just cutting off, um, you know, off the ball and either finding himself for open rebound or an offensive rebound or a, or an open layup. So I think if he just kind of, as you mentioned, takes what he is good at and can he eliminate some of his contested one dribble pull up jump shots, and focuses more on defense, he can definitely be that fifth starter. Um, I, I think there needs to be a lot of improvement to come with it. But my main concern is that he doesn't provide the floor spacing that everybody needs just to do their thing. Uh, but then again, having Walton and Johnson to come off the bench and kind of push him a little bit more could do that. When you guys give analysis like that, it makes it really difficult for me to follow y'all. I, so thanks. Appreciate it. Um, the only thing that I will say is, you know, hearing about what Carolina has returning next year and these freshmen coming in, I think that's what is going to make this 2020 class potentially really special is that you have that blend of guys that can be instant impact, that can immediately improve the squad, but you also have players like, like Puff, like potentially Kerwin Walton, I like R.J. Davis that are expected to be in the program for a few seasons. And as we've seen so many times before, Coach Roy Williams, he really improves players. And as seniors or even juniors, those guys can be major contributors. So, um, 
we'll just have to to really see how it goes. Guys, before I take the commercial break, uh, let's go ahead and get any final thoughts, Kerwin Walton, or anything about just the 2020 class in general, since we've kind of drifted over there into that topic. Um, one, one final thought to add. I know, obviously, there's lots of high expectations for Love, who is a McDonald's All-American, and, and RJ, but uh, with the current um, stay-at-home orders, et cetera, had some time to, to go back and actually watch the first live session from last year. So I got to watch um, a few games of Love and a few games from RJ Davis. And, you know, I, I think both games got me more excited uh, for both players and, and seeing what they can do. And I really think RJ Davis is going to have a strong year and definitely outplay his ranking. I think he doesn't get the top billing that Love does just because he's, he's a little smaller and, you know, doesn't have that NBA size. But what I saw from, you know, both of those games for Love, you know, it's very comfortable from from NBA range. Loves to go left, whether it's it's off the dribble and ISO or pick and roll. So I think that's going to be a thing to to watch. Is once teams start forcing him to go right, you know, can he do that? But uh, really good passer at, at times, throwing full court passes. Uh, you know, penetrating and dishing. So obviously that goes without being said for a McDonald's All American. But R.J. Davis, uh, really quick left to right crossover and kind of these one two dribble moves. So. You know, and for him, he was comfortable just hitting spot up jumpers from a little past the NBA range. So I think with those two, the big thing will be how do they play together? And, you know, I think they they can both play, you know, on the ball, off the ball, et cetera. But developing chemistry early on will be important. But, you know, watching them play basically a year ago got me even more excited than than I was um, already. Nice. Good stuff, man. Sherelle, anything else to add before we go ahead and take the commercial break? I'm good. Sean nailed it. All right. Good deal, guys. Well, let me go ahead and take a very quick moment to talk about our good friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. Even though everything is on lockdown right now, you can still shop at Giant T-Shirt and Get anything that you could want for the Tar Heel fan in your family by going to giantt-shirt.com and see their awesome selection of all the Tar Heel gear that they have there. If you want to, you can also buy a gift card. There's always going to be something that you will want at Giant T-Shirt. Those are available as well. And do not forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get that sweet 10% off from your purchases, either online at giantt-shirt.com or there at the Chapel Hill location. So that's giantt-shirt and giantt-shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. And we'll go ahead and hear from the national sponsors as well. When we come back, we'll go ahead and switch topics, start talking about Coach Roy Williams and his recruitment of the West Coast. So stay tuned. We will be right back after this. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back with the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. John Siegley here with Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. Guys, as I mentioned before we went to break, let's go ahead and talk about the recruiting efforts that Carolina has had over on the West Coast. I bring this up because Zaire Williams, who... Sean said was his favorite kid in the 2020 class um, elected to go to Stanford. You know, it was kind of an up and down recruitment from a UNC perspective early on. Carolina was the favorite that changed. And I think by the end of it, most of the Carolina fans, especially those that were following along with what inside Carolina was posting should not have been surprised at all to see Zaire elect to stay on the West coast and go to Stanford. But I thought it was very interesting because Ben Sherman posted the stats about how Coach Williams has been recruiting the West Coast going back to 2016. I'll go ahead and give those stats now, and then we'll discuss them a little bit, guys. But looking at it, in the 2016 class, zero offers. 2017, zero offers. 2018, zero offers. 2019, two offers, neither of which resulted in a commitment to Carolina. 2021, one West Coast offer, Zaire Williams, obviously not coming to Carolina. 2021, there's only one West Coast offer right now, Paolo Banchero. And then 2022, currently no West Coast offers and potentially no West Coast prospects even on the recruiting radar. I mean, it's it's kind of just so interesting to hear that because, Sean, you being out there in California, I mean, we hear about how the hoop scene out there is really good and there's so many good prospects coming out of it. But Carolina just seems to really be focusing on the East Coast, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But just starting with this kind of trend that started in 2016, I mean, what have you observed about the Tar Heels trying to recruit guys from your neck of the woods? Yeah, well, any time they are actually recruiting somebody hard, especially in Southern California, um, you know, I get excited because I can I can go watch them play and keep tabs on a little easier than some of the other guys, uh, especially Zaire, for instance. But you know, I, I mean, I think the the trend goes back to to really um, you know earlier on when both the Wears transferred out and Larry Drew, and you also had Alex Stevenson transfer out. And, and really after that, uh, I won't say the West Coast dried up because there's players such as Ivan Rabb that Roy offered and made a lot of visits too. But, you know, what was happening early on with Marvin Williams coming from Washington and a lot of California kids was Roy was kind of really using that West Coast pipeline he had developed at, at uh, Kansas. And then it worked out initially. And then you know, due to a few kind of, I'd say, bad selections uh, resulted in some transfers. And then I think it's been a mixture of them being a little more hesitant, but at the same time, uh, you know, kind of the talent level on the West Coast as well. I mean, you can kind of go through some of those recruiting classes, uh, you know, 2016, for instance, and the top player on the West Coast was uh, Lonzo Ball, but he had committed really early to, to UCLA and probably wasn't somebody they would get involved in. And then you have kind of TJ Leaf and Zach Collins and both of those guys, you know, I could have seen TJ Leaf, um, you know, kind of be a guy Carolina would be interested in, but those guys uh, committed early as well. So, you know, and, and then you can kind of go through the other recruiting classes and there is 
there is talent, but at the same time, you know, there's plenty of other talent elsewhere. So I think it is a mixture of the talent level while also Roy being a little hesitant of, of going out to California, because once again, you know, it's a cross country flight and it, it is a significant distance, but you know, you do have a lot of the top guys you see Kentucky, et cetera. Um, so I don't think it's something they should ignore, but I think what they did with Zaire was how they should continue to do it of if they, they find somebody they like, try to get in, try to get in early and see if they can close them early before distance or other things become an issue. But once again, you look at the Pac-12 and year in and year out, I mean, you had Arizona for a few years, but for the most part, uh, you know, it's it's not a, a murderer's row here in terms of, of colleges. So you do have the ability to to get people out of their comfort zone. And unfortunately, it just didn't work with uh, Zaire this time around. I think it's uh, it's more of selective, you know, how they're selecting uh, who they're recruiting. So if you look at the list that have been posted, like in 2019, yeah, they offered Boogie Ellis, but they offered him, uh, I think, in late August, early September. So he was someone they were reacting to losing. Basically, they, they recruited him because they lost someone else. So that counts to me, but that's kind of like, okay, they, that was kind of a, a half-hearted effort. Uh, Josh Green, you know, I think part of him saying that North Carolina was his dream school, I think that had an impact on him. And they thought, well, you know, if it's his dream school and he's really interested, then maybe, uh, you know, we have a chance to get him. And I I think that colored their mindset as well. But again, he was offered uh, July before his senior year, which in the grand scheme of things is is not early. So he wasn't a pri. I don't think you can call him a primary target for UNC. So if you look at it, Zaire Williams is the only primary West Coast target really for North Carolina, I guess since Ivan Robb uh, back in whenever that was, I don't know, the years are all starting to run together. 15, um, f- yeah, so 15. So, th- so the first one in basically almost six cycles, um, who is a primary, someone we consider a primary target, someone who, uh, you know, identified North Carolina and North Carolina identified him and someone who took uh, multiple visits to the campus, someone uh, who I think the UNC staff a year ago really thought they were going to close on. Um, so that's basically one, like I said, in six cycles, but I think it's more about Roy just and his staff, just, uh, as Sean said, feeling it out and seeing situations that they're comfortable with, but if they're not really, really comfortable with the kid and with the family, they're not, they're not going to use resources to go all the way out, uh, to Los Angeles or to San Diego or, you know, any other big city in California and recruit when they can meet most of their needs, um, in the Midwest, which they still do really well in. Um, and then, you know, kind of in the Southeast, which they still do really well in as well. Let me ask you guys this, I mean, do you think that the impact of the Ware twins and Larry Drew, how we saw what happened with them at Carolina, they all ended up transferring out. Did that, do you think, cause Coach Williams to change his recruiting stance on the West Coast? What do you think about that, Sean? Um, I, you know, in, in terms of what the real answer is, I've, I have no idea, but I, I think that probably could have slowed it down a little bit just because once again, um, you know, they had Marvin Williams, Quentin Thomas, Dion, Alex, the, the Ware twins and Larry Drew. So early on, they had a, a number of, of players and then you had f- four out of the last five transfer out. Um, so I think it, it definitely probably kind of played into the 
the fact a little bit. I mean, once again, Carolina is a, a national school. So no matter if you're in California or, or Arkansas, you, you know the history and you know the program. But, uh, you know, did that, I, I think it probably definitely slowed them down a little bit in, in terms of who they were looking at and, and hey, you know, it might be easier to, to stay local or stay on the East Coast, especially, uh, if, you know, at that point in time, I think the talent level, you know, I mentioned it drying up, but I think it really dried up in the early 2010s. You know, that was when the Pac-12 was, was struggling a lot. Um, and a lot of that went to talent. So if the five-star players or high four stars aren't being produced, then it seems natural to look elsewhere. And uh, sometimes it's hard to kind of, you know, go back so far if, if it's not, uh, not working out. Yes. <laughs> I was going to throw it to you. What was the answer to that question? Yes. <laughs> I like it succinct. And I, I think the, I, that just goes to the point that you made rel about the staff really focusing on getting the local talent and guys more so within the quote unquote natural re- recruiting footprint that can fill all their needs. I mean, both of you, of you guys have talked about how the five-star kids, even the high four-star kids, they're all over the place, but it's a much easier recruitment for the coaches if they can just go to the Midwest, go to South Carolina, even in Carolina's own backyard. There's a ton of talent in the in this state. And I think that really did play into that as well. Just, hey, look, why should we spend this these resources and time when we really don't have to? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if I can get Dayron Sharp and Kobe White and Reggie Bullock and you know, a whole bunch of other people I'm probably forgetting uh, just from North Carolina and then Seventh Woods and, and, and Jalique Felton from South Carolina uh, and then Tony Bradley from Florida, you know, Brandon Robinson from Georgia, Leslie McDonald from Tennessee, Ed Davis from Virginia, Kenny Williams from Virginia, Armando Baycott from Virginia. It's kind of like, why do I need to go 3,000 miles away when there's so much talent just in the states that border North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I, I know North Carolina is a national program, but it's still important to parents and to, uh, you know, people, families that, you know, to be able to see their kids play. So I think you're, you're, you have much, a much better shot at convincing, you know, Armando Baycott to drive from Richmond to Chapel Hill than you do Zaire Williams from, you know, Los Angeles to, to Raleigh Durham to Chapel Hill. I just think that's a, uh, um, just an easier pitch. It's easier on families and um, you know, they'll recruit talent wherever it is for sure. But you know, you have to be realistic and you can't, you can't be a program in North Carolina, despite all the resources it has and make Texas your fertile recruiting ground. It's just, it doesn't work that way. Um, And coach Williams has always said he wants to recruit the top player from the state each year. Uh, So I, I think they realized that there was enough talent around them. Um, and the, also, you know, it's 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 much harder to get homesick when you're not that far from home. I know that seems simplistic, uh, but I think that's part of what happened with some of the players from the West Coast who transferred out or maybe who didn't have the best experience at Carolina. Whereas someone like Dayron Sharp, when he gets to UNC, you know, he can drive home in an hour and a half if he needs to and and talk to his parents and talk to his family and then drive back to Chapel Hill. Whereas someone who lives in California, obviously, that's a little more difficult. Yeah, I was going back because uh, I first did a story on Zaire. It was January of 2019, so he was in his junior year. So that was the first time I got to interview him. And that weekend, uh, he was getting set to go on his Stanford trip. And, you know, I think 
as both Shrill and I know, you know, as the players get a little more advanced, uh, their answers become, uh, you know, not as genuine. So I still think this was at a, you know, early stage and he was, you know, Zaire was extremely excited about UNC and at least to me kind of, you know, was talking about his Stanford visit and kind of made it clear that they were the first ones in. That's why they're getting the visit. But at the time, you know, didn't have that genuine excitement. Uh, but then, you know, kind of talking to the parents and one of them was pretty excited about trying to find a visit. The other was a little worried about distance. And, and even at that time, he was talking about trying to get both of his parents out there to see the campus. And, you know, you're trying to, you know, during the winter season, basketball season, you know, talking about, all right, I got a game on Friday night and maybe we take a red eye afterwards and get there Saturday morning and then we're back Sunday. And even then the logistics were a little, you know, a little hard. And he he had said he wanted to wait and he was going to take his time. And I didn't really have any, you know, basis in, in stating this, but for some reason I just thought UNC would have to try to lock him in early, which I thought they might have had an opportunity to do before other schools got involved. But unfortunately, you know, what he said at that point in time held held true that he was going to stay patient with the process. And that eventually uh, led to a Pac-12 decision. So let's wrap up the podcast with this. In the future, what do you two think it would take for the for Coach Williams and the staff to really heavily recruit a West Coast kid and for Carolina to be like, you know, one of the top schools for said player. I mentioned earlier, Paolo Banchero, he has some ties to UNC and he's a five-star guy, but it doesn't really seem like the Tar Heels are going to end up being a big-time player in his recruitment. So, you know, looking at maybe the class of 2022 or beyond, Sean, what are the circumstances that have to occur for Carolina to really land another high-profile guy from the West Coast? Great question. I mean, I think a mixture of, you know, for Banchero, who really knows how much playing time is going to be available in the post. Um, So I think, you know, that could be an issue for him. Pretty much every, you know, you name every blue blood and every top school, and they've been on him pretty uh pretty early um so i mean i think it would be a situation like zaire where for instance the the schools recruiting him don't really fully match up to the the talent level that he is i mean stanford's done a great job of identifying players very early but it was still kind of surprising that in his the late part of his junior year that you know kentucky duke arizona that they all hadn't offered so i think if you can spot the talent, which UNC definitely did in this case, and be on a talented player a little bit earlier than the rest. I, I don't see any issue uh, recruiting cross-country. Um, but once again, it's just trying to find that right player because Duke, for instance, I mean, they got uh, Cassius Stanley last year, and they didn't really get into his recruitment until the very the very end. Uh, but so I, I think each situation is different, but at the end of the day, it'll probably be somebody that they get in early on and uh, you know, are, are able to, to follow up and recruit pretty hard. What's your take on that, Sherelle? And I'd also like to kind of see if you have any thoughts on that Benchero recruitment and you know if you think Carolina may end up being an actual player for him or if that's just going to be one that Carolina fans maybe don't need to keep too close an eye on. 
So I agree with Sean. Uh, I think what he said was pretty apt. Zaire Williams type recruitment is the one that you're looking for. So one where the family of the player reaches out to North Carolina and North Carolina reaches out back. The player, you know, is willing to take an unofficial visit to show that they're serious, to show that they're interested. Um, and then the North Carolina staff, once they see that, kind of goes, for lack of a better term, all in on the player. That's what you're looking for, someone who is a cultural fit for UNC on the court and off the court, someone who is a fit, obviously, um, uh, with all the things that Roy Williams likes to do as far as the team, um, you know, as far as um, style of play and all that stuff. So all that has to line up. Um, and, and I think once that happens, then, um, you know, North Carolina will go all in. Like I said, um, as far as uh, Benchero is concerned, you know, I, it, it's early and he has taken an official visit to Carolina. So that's that's important because uh, for so long we always said, well, if they don't take a visit to North Carolina, they're not serious. So he's shown that at least to some degree he is serious. But it goes back to what we're talking about here is that it just seems like it's going to be awful difficult for North Carolina not only to pull someone from, you know, right outside of Seattle, Washington, but also pull someone outside of Seattle, Washington over some of the schools um, who, um, you know, frankly have done better in the one and done era than North Carolina, like Kentucky um, and like Duke. So I, I think those are concerns for UNC moving forward. And, you know, obviously it's a, a long way out until he seems to be making a decision, but I don't expect, you know, North Carolina to be his decision at this point. Um, just from talking to people, it, it definitely seems like the hometown school um, and then a couple of the other blue bloods are, are right up there for him. But again, that's speculative. All this stuff can change. Um, but I think that's where things stand right now. I'll throw out uh, one, you know, one player, not that I'm, I'm putting money on, on this happening, but when you look at the future recruiting classes, uh, you can kind of scroll through and jumping ahead to 2022, you know, if there was a guy to to recruit, I would I would uh, potentially say Kajani Wright, who is currently ranked as uh, a top 10, number seven ranked player in the class. And he's a six, eight power forward. Uh, got to watch him. He goes to school about 10, 15 minutes from where I am. And he's a guy he's on the he's been on the USA basketball circuit, uh, you know, pretty, pretty strong and athletic. Uh, but for, you know, I don't think he is a potential one and done uh, just because I feel like he'd be somewhat of a, a tweener in the NBA. His game isn't really outside of the paint right now. Uh, but, you know, there's a guy that is highly ranked, um, you know, has, has been able to travel a little bit with the USA basketball scene. And as Sheryl mentioned, kind of the one and done, um, you know, somebody might rather go to Kentucky or Duke, for instance, and if he doesn't fit that mold, you know, perhaps that's a, that's an example of a guy to, to try to get in early and see what happens. I like that, man. Thanks for, for throwing that out. I mean, it's a name that Carolina fans can keep an eye on to see if the Tar Heels do become involved in his recruitment. I think at this point, we can probably go ahead and start wrapping up. Any final thoughts from either of you guys about West Coast recruiting 2022, just anything in general when it comes to the basketball recruiting world? Well, I mean, this week was supposed to be getting ready for the first live period. I know I was definitely excited about that, of getting, you know, getting eyes on a lot of these guys that we've been talking about at the same time, seeing, you know, would really start the movement in terms of the rankings. You know, every spring and summer, there's a lot of big movement and you get to see, you know, who's Carolina. Obviously, they're going to 
focus on initially the players that they have offers to, but, you know, who are the assistant coaches watching in the first live period? And then how does that uh, follow up into the second live period? And unfortunately, we'll not get, we'll not be able to see that happen. Um, At the same time, for all the inside Carolina people, you start reading about a lot of the rising seniors and juniors that you might not know as much about. So obviously disappointed that won't happen and probably won't happen in the summer. So, you know, just trying to stay on top of, of the players and really kind of watch some more film to see who are the guys that maybe could have risen uh, that will stay in kind of that low four-star status and could be, uh, you know, will be great for people that do their due diligence on on players rather than rankings. Any final thoughts, Ralph? I would just say, yeah, um, like Sean said, it's kind of jarring that there's, let me, let me go back a little bit, obviously not comparing it to anything else that's going on in the world. It's just, we're talking about our small little bubble here, but it is very weird not to have, you know, April basketball, April live period basketball, because that's when, that's when championships are built for teams that people don't even realize three and four years out. You know, North Carolina's 2017 championship wasn't built in 2016 after Villanova. It was really built, you know, in 2012 in Augusta, you know, in, in July during a summer when Roy Williams is watching Justin Jackson or he's watching, uh, you know, uh, Luke May play or he's watching Tony Bradley. That's when a lot of this stuff happens. So it's weird that we're not going to have that this year. And Roy Williams said during his press conference, I think last week, that he doesn't anticipate uh, or he doesn't think there will be anything before June. So that cuts off uh, MBPA camp. That cuts off the two um, scholastic uh, eval periods. This is the second year of that where players are um, with their high schools for two weekends and coaches can watch. So right now, uh, if things hold and Roy Williams is correct, that there's not going to be anything before June. The only evaluation days coaches will have is that five-day stretch in July, which is typically the Peach Jam and the Under Armour Finals and the Adidas Championships, and then the NCAA um, Academies that last year was the first year they were held throughout the country. I think those are for a couple of days, and then I think they have like a 24 to 48-hour window typically with USA Basketball. So we're talking about uh, eight in-person or live evaluation days as it stands right now. Um, for UNC until the fall period begins, which is the second week in September. And if you're following this stuff, it just seems likely there's not going to be a summer period at all. So for Roy Williams, who loves in-person evaluations, it's just going to be pretty fascinating to watch how he and his staff um, evaluate based you know, strictly on tape and talking to people and recommendations and FaceTime and Zoom. It's just a different world. Um, so we're anxious to track it at Inside Carolina. We're not sure exactly how or what to be tracking because there's really no way to figure out exactly who they're talking to. So that's going to be some fun detective work for us. Um, but yeah, I would just say just kind of unprecedented times when it comes to UNC basketball, especially recruiting. That's a great way to wrap up the podcast. And for everyone listening, if you do want to see what detective work Sean, Sherelle, and the rest of the Inside Carolina group can get up to, make sure that you subscribe to the Basketball Premium Message Board where all of the latest news is posted there. Uh, but thank you guys for joining me tonight. And we will be back later on with another edition of the Coast to Coast podcast. So take it easy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? 
This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.